blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Good evening. There you all are. It's good to see you all back from Dallas, those who made the trek over to Lads to Leaders this morning. Grateful to have you back with us. Hopefully you've gotten one of these handouts that look eerily familiar to this one. Yours should have holes in that. Mine does not because I am lazy. We are studying through that redemptive plan of God's from the book of Genesis throughout the entirety of the Bible. And I'm going to put this right here on the table right now. If you can't see the compassion and the nature, gentle nature with which God handles Job and the redeeming qualities of God found in the book of Job, I'll be real honest with you, I can't help you. This book drips with the Savior's blood. I told my wife before I walked up here, I could spend the next 40 minutes on verse 1. Brother Waycaster is visiting with us, and he is a, one of the instructors at the Memphis School of Preaching. And every time I see the book of Job, I hear one voice, and that's Curtis Cates. That was his favorite book. Now, you can ask preachers all around what is their favorite book, and probably the answer they give you is whichever one they're studying right now. I know Cliff does that all the time. I ask Cliff, what do you, what's your favorite book? He said, well, I'm studying Philippians, that's not what I asked you. Probably, and maybe, you sh maybe it's like children, maybe you shouldn't have a favorite, but out of the 66, Job is probably my favorite. You ever have problems? Is that just me? Yeah. You ever, you ever look at, at your life and think, there's no way it could get any worse. There's no way that these things could go any more poorly than they're going right now. Yeah, read Job. What a case study for us. What a, what a wonderful book God has left us. Somewhere between chapter number 12 and chapter number 13 of the book of Genesis is about where Job was written. The first written book of the Bible. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. This is literally where it begins. It doesn't, as we would say back home, it doesn't get any itter than this. So I hope you are ready. We're going to take our time tonight. You can notice all of those facts uh, about Job later on because as I look at it, I just figure this. It's just eating into my time. We're going to look at four key passages found within the book of Job that I hope you've seen a hundred times, and I hope this is simply just a reminder for you as we look at Jesus the Christ as he's found in the book of Job. Let's start with him. When you look at the book of Job, Job 
uh, is a man who in verse 1 seemingly has everything together. Really verse 2, 3, and 4 shows us all of the things that he has, all those things that he has been blessed with by God. And then through a series of events in chapter number 1, those things strategic and one by one are taken away from him. Having the next servant come up, and something else is wiped out. You remember how it goes while, while he's being told of this, yet another man comes up and says, now everything on this field is gone. All of your children, gone. In the first two or three verses, Job has everything together. He is, he is well put together. He is he is the model by which people should look and say, I want to be like him, even as he follows God. But when you begin about verse number 10 of chapter 1 and then move through the next 41 chapters, do you still think that? You still think, this is the guy I want to be like? The guy who, who can't sleep, the one who tosses and turns all night because he, because he can't get comfortable, because he has uh, terrible sores all over his body from the top of his head to the very bottom of his feet? You want to be the one who, who hasn't eaten, the one whose wife looks at him and says, you're a mess. You look terrible. You call this integrity, Job? Why don't you just curse God and die? We look at that portion of Job's life and we say, whew, I don't want to be like that. But I'll pick it back up in 42 when those blessings begin to roll again. Brethren, you remember the old uh, show from the 80s, The Facts of Life? Remember that theme song, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them all? And then you've had the facts of life. You can't get those blessings from 42 without going through those 40 chapters. Here we see this man. Will he always suffer? Is he always going to be here? Is, is there never a point in time where God will say, enough, that's enough for Job? And Job's only question really throughout the book is this. Why are all these things happening? Do I deserve them? Well, I may not think so, but I, I may be wrong. Why? Why are all these things happening to me? Turn over to the book of Job chapter 9. As we begin to look at Jesus the Christ, who's found in the book of Job. He's mentioned in passing a few times. And the first time he's mentioned is Job chapter 9. Let's begin reading about verse number 32. For he's not a man as, as I am, though I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is, the, neither is there any daemon betwixt us that he might lay his hand upon both of us. Let him take his rod away from me. And let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and, and not fear him. But it is not so with me. The word I want you to focus in on verse number 33 is the word daysman. You have an anglicized version of that word there. It literally means a, a defender of rules. 
a right speaker, one who, who has the ability to stand up for someone else. We generally give this guy a hard time. And you say, when do we ever generally give this guy a hard time? Well, let me tell you how we generally give this guy a hard time. If you sit where I sit some Saturdays, you'll hear this. That was a terrible call, Blue. She was obviously out by three steps. Everybody could see that. While I'm sitting way up in the stands, and he's standing right there by the base. This daysman, this defender of the rules, is, is literally one you and I would know of as uh, an umpire. They have to know the rules. Those men have to take a test, and women have to take a test, have to know those rules, and then, then have many hours of practical application to where they can apply the rules that they know in that little rule book so that the, the game will go through smoothly so that everyone can play the same game so that everyone has the same fighting chance. Job wants someone... To stand before God and discuss the rules. Can't can we talk about this? Are you, are you sure that's the way it's supposed to go? Am, am I supposed to be the, the target of this punishment? Am, am I missing something? Am, am I in the wrong? He's looking for a defender of a set of rules that he has lived his entire life by. As a matter of fact, Job chapter 0, verse 0, that would be the ones before Job 1, 1. He has lived that way and has been blessed by God. What's changed? That's really what Job is asking. What has changed? I've been, I've been living this way. I've been, been doing what you said. I've been praying for my family. I've been making sacrifice for them. I've been following you. I've been teaching others. What changed? And can someone plead my case? Can someone ask God about the rules? Job would look at his life and truthfully say this I don't think I've changed I, I, don't, I don't recall changing but if I have show me where that is where I can go back and be blessed by you again well as, as Job looks at it he hasn't changed Job is not privy to chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, when the rules changed. Job's not privy to God who said, Have you considered my servant Job? Perfect, upright. There's none like him. You thought about him? 
Job is asking in Job chapter 9, where, where is the defender of the rules? And can I plead to God? Let's go over a few more chapters to Job chapter number 13. Beginning verse number 18. The second mention of Jesus the Christ in a, in a veiled way here in the book of Job. Here's what you get. Behold now, I have ordered my cause because I know that I shall be justified. Who is it that will plead with me? For now if I hold my tongue, I shall give up the ghost. Only do not two things unto me, then will I hide myself from thee. My favorite verse, I guess, in this section right here is the end of verse 19. Well, I don't, I don't. For right now, it's the end of verse number 19. If I don't say something, I'm going to die. If I don't say something, my body and my soul are just going to rip apart. Well, what does he say? Look at the beginning of verse 19. Who's it going to be that's going to plead for me? And he prefaces that statement in ver- in, in, by verse number 18 by saying this, I have lived that ordered life. That is, I followed the rules that were set forth. I have lived underneath that, that pattern that, that God has established. And he says, who's going to plead with me? Plead. Contend. Debate. This is a fun one. Wrangle. Who's going to be able to wrangle up God and and hold him and say, wait just a moment. Are you sure you're treating Job fairly? Who's going to be able to stand at a podium aside from God and, and debate God on whether Job is righteous or wicked? That's the guy Job's looking for. But he asks, who's going to do that? Because Job's mind is set properly on who God is, then Job understands that the only one who can stand in that podium, that lectern right beside him, is someone who has the same kind of authority. And he says, I've got no hope. (laughs) Who's the one who's going to have that same kind of authority to contend with God? For me, here's your implication. Because it's not me. I don't have the authority to second-guess God. And Job understands that fact very clearly. I don't have the opportunity to say, God, I think you're wrong on that. I think you ought to... Oh, no, that's not Job's. That's not Job's worry here. His question is, who's going to contend with God for me? Everything everything looks very bleak for Job right now, doesn't it? Well, I wish I had some sort of umpire. You know you are dragging the bottom of the barrel when you're asking for an umpire. And here I want someone... To be able to debate God. To be able to contend with God for me. Notice the next one. Job chapter 16. The third place in which Jesus is mentioned 
in passing by Job in this particular book, we find Job chapter 16, verse number 20. Job will say here, My friends scorn me, but my eye pours out tears unto God. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth with his neighbor. Job makes mention of his friends. Who for years I have given a very hard time to. Because of the things that they say, I have given a very hard time to. And I'm not going to back off of them just yet. But I do want to soften my view just a little bit. When you look back at chapter 2, the very first verse and you see them sit there for a week also with him? Brother, there's something about these friends who love Job. There's something about them who, who look at him and, and want him to be able to express himself. And they want to be able to help him. They, they sit there on a trash pile for a week just like he does. They don't say anything till he says something. There's some kind of good somewhere in them, isn't there? But by Job chapter 16, he says in verse 20, My friends scorn me. They have told me things that, that are obviously not true. They, they have predicated their defense against me on this. You obviously have done something wrong because you're being punished. Hmm. Sounds about right, doesn't it? Think for a moment in, your, in just your logical mind here as you walk through your day. Somebody's being punished. They must have done something wrong, right? Would anyone like to fill the pulpit here and explain Jesus then? Who did nothing wrong. And the entirety of the guilt of mankind was laid upon his shoulders. He was the sacrifice. Just because something bad happens does not necessarily mean the other person uh, had it coming. Here he says, my friends scorn me. And my eyes have poured out tears unto God. You ever, you ever cried until you're dry you don't have anything else to cry you're, you're just done that's where job is he, he's he's found himself all cried out and he says once again oh that one might plead for a man with god as he would plead with his neighbor as he would contend or debate or wrangle with his neighbor you know, I read that particular passage and there's a, there's a scene that pops into my mind. And you, you guys will never know it unless you've Googled this. Uh, how many of you remember, uh, what is the name of that show? It had Tim Allen on it. 
You remember we had the neighbor, home improvement, there, thank you, gold star for you. Had the neighbor, we never saw him except for this much of him, Wilson behind the fence. And they would always stand there and talk, and they, within 30 minutes they would work out the world's problems. That's what Job's looking for. Can I get someone to, to debate maybe across a fence for me? Someone who, who understands God like a neighbor. Somebody who can go over to God and say, Look, this life's tough. Being a human is tough. The relentless temptation that falls on mankind day after day after day when all they really want to do for, for that group is to follow you. Hey, that's tough. Trust me, I've been there. So that's the one he's looking for. He's looking for the one who can explain his case to God like a neighbor. The one who has the authority to speak to God. The one who understands why the rules have changed. Who's he looking for? He's looking for a man that's not going to come onto this earth some 3,000, 3,500 years after this. But we see him in one more place. Turn over to Job chapter number 19. Beginning in verse number 24, Job is going to say this, that they were graven with an iron pen. Let's start in verse 23. Oh, that my words were now written that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. Though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. I wish I had a stenographer here right beside me. And I wish the medium in which this stenographer was using was rock so that it couldn't change. And I wish they were writing down everything I said because you can go back through the historical document, the things I'm saying to find out this. I'm not asking for God to remove the punishment. I'm not asking God to change something just for me. I'm not asking God to look favorably simply upon me because of who I am or what I have. All I'm asking is, why are these things happening? I wish somebody would write that with a pen, with an iron pen in a rock, and we could give it to God and just say, why are these things happening? What am I supposed to do here? And then he says, those very famous words to which we sing quite frequently, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. First, let's start with the idea of Redeemer. We're very familiar uh, as we study through the Word of God about the idea of the Redeemer. He's uh, realistically in the Old Testament the, the kinsman Redeemer. He's the, he's the purchaser. He's the, the ransom one who could, who could buy Job back. 
You remember um, Ruth and that kinsman redeemer? Mm-hmm. It's the same one he's asking for. Could I have someone buy me back from whatever pit I have fallen into? Can I have someone redeem me out of it? Purchase the price. It's one who uh, has the legal right. The legal right to make the purchase. I want you to look at one little word here. I know you hate English, but... Sorry, I don't know any other language. Here we go. Liveth. Am I the only? And if, I'm, if I am, that's okay. Am I the only one here with a King, old King James Version opened up? Anybody else? Okay. Few of us, Okay. Once, once you move into the New King James and a few of the other modern translations, you, you lose words or really suffixes to words that hold so much detail that when you simply see the suffix, you go, ah, got it. Liveth is that word. How many of you who don't have the... Uh, Old King James has lives. Anybody? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. That's a good translation. It's not the best. But in the year 2022, 20, is that where we are? Okay. We don't use the ETH very much. We don't use it in Hot Springs hardly ever, do you? Holdeth the door for me. Anybody ever do that while they're going into Walmart? No. When you see the ETH, let it resonate with you that that idea there is an ongoing process. Is he living when Job is speaking? Yes. Sure is. Is he living now? Yes. Was he living before? Yes. Is he living even long after I pass off this earth and move to eternity? Yes. Because the one he's speaking about is the second person of the Godhead. Go back to John chapter number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, uh, and, and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. That one who put on that cloak of flesh, who came to this earth, who put down that, for, for a temporary uh, point in time, put down uh, being eternal, became mortal, that one is the one he says, I know that my Redeemer lives now and will continue to live. And then he goes on to say, and that he will stand at the latter day upon the earth, the last day, the final day, the the days that you and I would read about within our New Testament, the days in which we are sitting within this building, the very last dispensation of time, Jesus set foot and lived here just like Job said he would. You know who Job's looking for? He's looking for Jesus. It's exactly who he's looking for. Looking for the one who will regulate 
the rules. I'm looking for someone who will plead my cause, who has the authority to do that, and someone who can get the understanding over to God that life's tough. I need a redeemer. Does Job ever get that redeemer? This, by the way, is a trick question. Does Job ever get that redeemer? Yes. Let's ask it a different way. Does Job ever get that redeemer while he's alive? No. He never gets to see Jesus the Christ. As Job looks at his life and thinks, can it get any worse? What else has to happen? What he understands is this. I'm, I'm not going to make it out of here without God. I'm not going to make it out of here without God smiling favorably on me. I'm not going to make it out of here without God's blessing. And while he may never see the Christ in a human form, not only does Christ plead the rules for him, umpire the rules, not only does he plead the case, he is what John, 1 John chapter 2 would call the propitiation. The sin sacrifice. See, on that day outside of Jerusalem, when he was nailed to that cross, we, we understand that that body, that blood flowed downward and then toward us. Don't forget those faithful. Don't forget those faithful back there who did everything they could do and followed God's plan exactly the way he wanted to. Didn't that blood flow backward for them? I think it got to Job. When Job passed from this life into eternity. You think he was satisfied with the events in the book of Job? Oh yeah. What a great book. We don't have to wait for the Redeemer the way Job had to. You know, Job is looking for years and years and years down the road and will never find him. You and I look through the pages that we hold in our lap, that inspired Word of God, and we see the Redeemer on every single page. The question for you is, what are you going to do with Him? You see Him there, what are you going to do with Him? Yeah, you really have one or two choices. You can do what he says and be obedient unto him. You can hear what he has to say and believe those things. You can repent of your sin or confess that Jesus is the Christ and be baptized in water for the remission of your sins being added to the family of God. You can do that. Or you can close your book and say, that's a pretty good show for a dollar. What are you going to do? With the one that Job was looking for for years, what are you going to do with him? Have you put him on in baptism? If not, you need to. Today, 
You need to today. Today is the day of salvation. It might be the fact that you already have. But that you're not exactly living the way God says to. Come back home. Don't spend the rest of your life out there in a hog pen. Come back home. To a family that misses you and to a God that loves you, who's waiting right now. Come while we stand and sing for your encouragement.